Sixty. Yeah, I got the I got online with you last week. Yeah, I saw that. Good afternoon, everybody. We're glad you're here. We will continue our Revelation Bible study. We are in chapter six of Revelation. We have talked about the first four seals. Now we're gonna who knows? We might actually get through the sixth seal tonight. So you never know. We'll see. <laughs> We got a few more pages in this uh, in this chapter, a few more verses in this chapter, so we'll see how far we get tonight. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your many blessings upon our life, Lord, for allowing us the opportunity once again to come into your house to worship, to praise, and to honor your name. Lord, we ask that you'll move, mm -hmm. that you'll touch, Lord, that you'll stretch forth your hand as only you can, Lord. Lord, that you'll anoint my lips as I endeavor to bring forth your message, Lord, that you'll anoint our ears to hear and our hearts to receive. In Jesus' sweet and holy name we pray. Amen. Chapter 6 starts with the opening of the seals of the scroll that God was holding in chapter 5. We see that the first four seals was the first four horses of the apocalypse. The uh, first seal, we see a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow and a crown, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. The second seal was uh, a red horse, and the power was given to him to take peace from the earth. And then the third seal... He was a black horse, and he had a pair of balances in his hand. And then we get into the fourth seal, and that was a pale horse or a greenish tint horse, and it was death and hell. So we are moving quite rapidly through the seals. It won't be that rapidly when they actually start opening them. But we are in the fifth seal, verse 9. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Now this, this verse always reminds me of something very odd, I guess you could say. One of my favorite movies is The Christmas Carol with George C. Scott playing Ebenezer Scrooge. In that movie, when he is visited by the ghost of Christmas present, at the end of the visit, the ghost pulls back his coat and reveals two emaciated children named Ignorance and Won't. And they talk about that in the movie. Now, that seems a little odd that I would remember or would, would associate that with this, but we see under the altar the martyrs, the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and the testimony which they held. Now, there is a huge debate as to who the martyrs are. Martyrs are martyrs. They're the ones that was killed because they preached or because they taught in the name of the Lord. But is this pre-rapture, post-rapture, during rapture? Does it really matter? That was uh, the movie that I just talked about, George C. Scott and Christmas Carol. That's just a movie. But the opening of the fifth seal, that's reality. John is shown under the altar the martyred souls of those that had been teaching, preaching, testifying about God. We're not clear who those martyred souls are. Are they a martyrs of recent times or are they of older times only? Or are they a mixture of both? Is this all the missionaries, the souls of the disciples, those that were killed in the Old Testament days for teaching God's ways? Was Stephen there? We know Stephen from the New Testament. He was stoned. So is he there? 
We don't really know who all this martyr is, the souls that are under the altar, but I personally believe, and I always like to tell you that this is my opinion when it is indeed my opinion because the scriptures does not bear out who these really are. I believe it's martyrs from all time periods, from the Old Testament and the New Testament. I believe this because if we, as we read through this in just a few verses, we're going to see that more are going to join them. So that's the ones that are going to die during the tribulation period, in my personal opinion. Those that have died recently around the tribulation and eventually the two witnesses that we talk about a little later on in Revelation, they will also be there. But I believe that at that point, the souls that are under the altar are no longer under the altar. They have been allowed to come out from under the altar. I don't believe that they stay there. Okay, that's Robert's opinion. And you can take Robert's opinion and a few bucks and go get you a Mountain Dew. Notice I always say Mountain Dew because that's, you know, that's the nectar of the gods, little g. Verse 10, and the crowd with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Well, isn't this a question that we ask ourselves or we ask God here in this day? How long, God? How long? How long are you going to wait? When can we come home, Lord? We also ask him, why me, Lord? Now, I asked my brother one time years ago if he had ever asked the question, why me? My brother's went through some things. He's had uh, heart surgery at the age of 18. And my brother is five years older than me, so heart surgery at the age of his 18 was a few years ago because I was 13, and that's been a few years. He's had uh, a... Electric line fall down on top of him, nearly electrocuting him. He's had uh, one kidney to just either never function mm -hmm. quite properly or it quit functioning. He nearly died from that. He's had multiple, multiple strokes. So, you know, I asked him one time, I said, uh, Rick, have you ever asked why me? He said, no, I was always afraid he'd say, why not? Why not you? Those were my brother's words. Why not you? We asked that question. Why us, Lord? Why not us? What makes us special? What makes us think that, you know, we should have an easy walk? God didn't promise us an easy walk anywhere. He told us that there would be trials and tribulations. The martyrs call out to God when their deaths would be avenged. Why does God wait? Don't we ask God, Lord, how long? How long do I have to wait? How long do I have to be where I'm at? Wherever you're at. It doesn't matter what the circumstances. Maybe you're sick and you've been sick for a while and you ask, Lord, why, when are you going to heal me? Well, if you're truly a Christian, you will definitely be healed when he goes, when you go to heaven. He said, by his stripes, we are healed. So we will get healed in heaven. Some of us get healed here on this earth, and some of us has to wait until death to heal us. So we can ask that question, how long, where where am I at, or how do I stay here? Why do I stay here? The martyrs and us are no different. We all want to know when, Lord. But <coughs> here's the thing. He doesn't tell us when. And there's a reason he doesn't tell us when. We would wait until right before 
He told us when. If he told us October the 10th, and I'm not saying October the 10th, there's a rumor going around September the 24th. I don't know if anybody's heard that. I didn't until my son-in-law texted me and said, what is it? I had to look it up. September the 24th, there's supposed to be some astronomical events and the end of the world. So we've got three days. We've got two days. Today's the 22nd. So we got two days, guys. The point is, it will end for some people on September the 24th. Will it be a total annihilation of the human race? Will the rapture take place? What happens? I know. I don't, I don't know. Nobody can answer that question. If he told us September the 24th, we'd wait until September the 23rd and we'd get ripe. We'd live like, you know, the underside angels. We'd live like hell's angels until September the 23rd, and then we'd crawl to him and say, Oh, Lord, forgive us. September the 24th, we get to go home. There is a thing called deathbed salvation, and I agree that there is something called deathbed salvation, and it happens for a lot of people, and I'm glad it happens, but we can't rely on it because we're not guaranteed we'll have a deathbed. I could drop dead right here. Friend of mine walked into his mother's kitchen, looked at his mom, smiled, dropped dead. There was no saving him. They literally said his heart exploded. There was no way to save that young man. He was only in his 20s. His heart blew up due to certain things that he had been doing when he was younger. Plus, he did have a heart disease, we found out later. So you may not get a deathbed salvation. Why wait? One of the re- that's one of the reasons why God didn't tell us when. He doesn't want us to know. He wants us to be ready at the moment. He wants us to be ready every moment. And he wants us to understand that other people need to be ready and we need to tell them about him. So no, he's not going to answer that question for us. I think in the older days, and even now, there are times uh, that you know that you're going to pass away. A good friend of mine went into the hospital. He's in his 70s, and this was when I was in my 20s. He went into the hospital, and he told us that he would never come out of the hospital. He went in for a bad back. That was it. They didn't even do, I don't believe they did surgery on him. They just had him in there giving him medication. Now, this was in the late 80s, about 88. So they was trying to get him regulated and get him set. And he told us, he said, I'm never coming out of the hospital. He died in the hospital of a heart attack. He never came out. But he went in for a bad back. I think some of us know when it's our time. But most of us don't. The Old Testament tells us that they would draw their feet up into their bed. They knew They knew it was their time to go. I hope that God allows me the opportunity to know when it's my time to go. I do because I want to call my kids, my grandchildren, my wife over, and I'm going to tell them, come close. And when they get real close, I'm going to say, I buried the money, and that's where I want to die at. And leave everybody wondering if Robert did indeed bury some money somewhere. And by the way, Lynn, no, uh, Robert has buried no money. Robert has grandchildren. There is no money to bury the grandchildren will bury Robert. Verse 11, And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season, and tell their fellow servants also 
and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. See, I told you just a few verses we find out that there's more coming. God's response, he gave them white robes. Now, you think that's a little odd. They ask when, oh, well, here's your robe, rest a little while. The white robes are what the redeemed of the Lord can wear. They're the only ones that can wear the white robes. The sin stains are gone. The robes are brilliant white. He also told them to rest for a season. You're here. You're not bothered. You're not troubled. Does it matter how long I'm going to wait before I avenge your death? No, it doesn't. You're already in heaven. You have nothing to worry about. There's no concern. My mom's been in heaven since May the 4th of 2000. She has missed everything in the years between 2000 and today. She's missed all of it. She missed September the 11th. She missed all of the wars. She's missed the inflation. She's missed all of these other things. She's missed, she missed the pandemic. Now, I'll be honest with you. I'm glad my mom's in heaven because the pandemic would have scared her to death. It would have worried her to death. Don't you agree? Mm -hmm. September the 11th would have worried her to death. So it was a relief, actually, and I know this sounds funny, but it was a relief that when, when September the 11th happened and some of these other major events, I think, Lord, thank you for not allowing my mom to be here during this time because it would worry her to death. Now, my dad was a little different. He didn't, he didn't seem to worry about a lot. I mean, he'd survived World War II. He figured, well, what's the worst that can happen to me? But he, he missed the pandemic. He died in 2015. He missed the pandemic. He missed a lot of other things. So it would have destroyed my father to know how we handled the uh, evacuation. And I'm not getting political, but he, it would have destroyed him to know how we handled the evacuation out of Afghanistan. That would have bothered him greatly because we left people behind. He wasn't of that nature. He did not believe in leaving people behind. One of the reasons why every chance he got, he told people about God. He didn't want to leave people behind in, in the spiritual realm either. He told them to rest for a season. Soon others would join them. Some use this scripture to state that the rapture has not happened yet. Because in their theory, if the church was gone, no one would still be getting saved. Clearly, if others were going to join them under the altar, there would be some still accepting Christ during at least this time of the tribulation. And remember, the first opening of the seal was the beginning of tribulation. However, it is not the church that saves people. It is by the drawing of the Holy Spirit as long as God's Spirit is here, mankind can and will be saved. The church does not have to be on earth for God to move. Church wasn't on earth in the first in the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness filled the face of the deep. And the spirit moved. Church wasn't here. So it doesn't have to have the church to be here to move. And by church, I mean the people, the Christians that occupy the building. So, no, I don't think that we can use this scripture to say that the rapture has not happened yet. Again, there are three thoughts 
that the rapture will take place prior to the tribulation, that the rapture will take place someplace in between in the middle of the tribulation, and the third is that it will take place at the end of the tribulation. I do hope that entire camp is wrong. I don't have a problem with the middle, and I don't have a problem with I really hope that the beginning of the tribulation rapture is what's really, truly going to happen. We'll miss all of it. Yay. Because, again, I'm a wimp. I don't want to be here. But if it's the beginning or the middle, okay. I don't want to have to go through the entire tribulation period just to get to heaven. But that may be what God intends, and, and they may be right and others wrong. Verse 12, And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal. And lo, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. Now this one gets talked about a whole lot in the last few years, especially since the pan pandemic started and we started having our blood moons. I got news for you. We've always had blood moons. As long as the earth has been revolving around the sun and the moon has been revolving around the earth and the sun is setting in the center of our solar, we have had blood moons. It's just what we've decided to start calling them in the last 20, 30, 40 years. The scroll is almost open, though. The writing revealed. Two more seals remain. The first five seals have been opened and death, destruction, carnage has left over a billion people dead. Billion. As a friend of mine used to say, that's a million with a B. And the rest is affected in a major way. The sixth seal is removed, a great earthquake is felt. An earthquake all over the world. The thought process is that the epic center for this earthquake will be Jerusalem. And it will be felt all over the world. Everywhere. Antarctica. Australia. United States, Russia, Canada, South America. Be felt all over the world, but the epic center is going to be in Jerusalem, is what they say. No other earthquake in the history of the world has been this powerful. On May the 22nd, 1960, in southern Chile, a 9.5 magnitude earthquake was recorded. Supposedly, that was the worst earthquake ever in the annals of history that we actually know about. The India earthquake in 2004, that was December the 26th, with the tsunami, was a magnitude of 9.1. The earthquake in Japan, March the 11th, 2011, was a magnitude of 9.03. That was the one that caused the tsunami that flooded the nuclear plant Fukushima. However, the earthquake that the Bible is mentioned in Revelation chapter 6 will make those earthquakes pale in comparison. 9.5. 9.1, 9.03. Those are some massive earthquakes caused tremendous damage. We just had some in Indonesia just a few days ago, but it's not near as bad as these that's listed, and it certainly will not be as bad as the one in Chapter 6. The sun immediately following will become as black as sackcloth and moon red. Recently in the news, we hear of lunar events called blood moons. These blood moons have always occurred, even in the days of John the Revelator. Guess what? They didn't call them blood moons back then, though. 
The earth gets between the sun and the moon, and since the moon does not give off any light, it relies on the sunlight to reflect onto the earth. If the earth blocks the sunlight from hitting the moon, the moon relies on the light from the earth's atmosphere. That's what gives it its red tint. That's why we have blood moons. It's a lunar eclipse. This is beyond a lunar eclipse, what verse 12 is talking about. There are usually four total lunar or blood moons every year. John the Revelator may have also been aware of total solar eclipses. Having a solar eclipse approximately two a year visible from a very narrow band on Earth. So the sun turning black and the moon turning red is not a phenomenon that occurs back to back or at the same time. This says that the sun became black as sackcloth of hair and the moon become as blood immediately. Hmm. So it's beyond a solar and a lunar eclipse. The most powerful earthquake ever felt could put up enough dust and pollution to block the sunlight or block the moonlight from reaching Earth. We know this to have occurred in Earth's recent past. In 1816, with the volcanic eruption of Mount Tambora in Indonesia in 1815. In 1816, it is, science will tell you, that's the year with no summer. There was so much dust in the atmosphere from the 1815 eruption of Mount Tambora that in 1816 they really truly didn't have summer. There was enough dust in the atmosphere to drop the temperature and hurt the growing season. There was not as much sunlight penetrating the atmosphere in reaching Earth. But dust in our atmosphere does not make the moon turn red. Dust in our atmosphere will only block the light from reaching us, but not the moon. The dirt would have to go floating out in space, be a huge cloud. If the moon is receiving sunlight, it will still be white. We may not be able to see it because of all of the dust and pollution in the air, but it will still be white if you get above the pollution. So what makes the earth, what makes the moon go blood red? What makes the sun go dark? Science can't describe it. Science doesn't understand it. I understand it. God flips off the switch and the sun goes black. And then the moon receives the, I won't say it goes completely black, but it is darkened. Okay, it's not as hot, it's not as bright, it's not as brilliant. He puts his hand in front of it, maybe. I don't know how he does it. I, I don't have to understand. I just know that he's going to block the sunlight. When he puts his hand in front of the sunlight, oh, there might be enough of it to still illuminate the Earth's atmosphere. That will make the moon be red in our eyes, and it will not be a solar eclipse. It will not be a lunar eclipse. This is different. This is something special. This is one of those that the scriptures tells us there will be signs and wonders in the heavens and the earth. This is beyond 
what we've been th talked about for years. Yes, the earthquake could put the dust in the air, and we wouldn't see the sun. We'd just see a you know a, a ball of light, maybe, kind of like you know behind clouds. Okay, that could be part of it. But that doesn't describe and tell us why the moon goes red. So there's something going on actually at the sun that this happens. It's the only thing it can be. And the only thing I can think of is God puts his hand in front of the sun and kind of blocks the light. We have the shadow of his hand on the earth makes the sun go black. But there's still enough sunlight to, uh, to illuminate our atmosphere. Now the moon's not receiving the sunlight, but it's, uh, there's enough there to get us lit up. So we're seeing red from the atmospheric conditions. That's the only thing I can think of. Yes, it sounds foolish. Yes, it sounds funny. But if anybody's got a better description, please let me know because... This is not an eclipse. This is not a solar eclipse. This is not a lunar eclipse. Because they don't happen at the same time. They can't. It's physically impossible for us to be able to have a solar eclipse today and a lunar eclipse tonight. It's physically impossible. The sun and the moon are in different positions for each. Because for a solar eclipse... The moon's blocking us. For a lunar eclipse, we're blocking the, the light from the moon or to the moon. So it's impossible for us to have these two events coincide together like scriptures tell us. Well, the scripture's wrong. No, I believe the Bible before I believe anything else. Just because Robert doesn't understand it doesn't mean that it's wrong. It just means that Robert's understanding is not good enough. But the only thing that I can truly tell you is God puts his hand up and says, okay, <laughs> it's over. And I believe that this earthquake, this, this verse right here, the scriptures tells us of the tribulation and the great tribulation. I believe we have started into the great tribulation at this point. I believe this is the, I was telling Lynn earlier, there's a TV show that I like on Curiosity Stream. It's called The Butterfly Effect. And it takes these three events and it welds into a story. And at one point, there's this computer animated version or vision comes up and says, we have just reached a turning point. A turning point is where, and it goes on to describe why they, the history took a turn at that point. We have just taken a turn. This is a turning point. And if, it, if the Great Tribulation doesn't start in verse 12, it starts shortly after verse 12. Verse 13, and the stars of heaven fell onto the earth, even as a fig tree cast her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. Now this was, this is a, a scripture that just has always baffled me as well. I mean, I don't understand the black sun and the red moon. I really truly don't understand why and the stars of heaven fell onto the earth. If this is a literal star, and what little I know, the stars are huge, much bigger than the earth. The star that's in the corner of Orion's belt, the shoulder, of one of the shoulders, the brightest star in the shoulder of Orion, 
it is so large, that is Betelgeuse or Betelgeuse, if you replaced the sun, moved it out of the way, and put Betelgeuse in its place, that star, they tell us, is so large that Earth would be inside of its orbit. That's a big, 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 big object. Sun's, what, 93 million miles away or something like that? That's a huge planet or a huge star. So I don't understand the stars of heaven falling on the earth. Stars are huge. I believe the results would be an extinction level event. So is this a star? Meteor showers, perhaps, at a magnitude and frequency we have never seen is more likely the case. These meteors are such a size that large chunks survive the atmospheres and impact the earth all over the globe. It was a meteor impact, called the meteorite, that destroyed the dinosaurs all over the earth. It was a meteor impact that made Crater Lake in Oregon. However, at this point, earth will look like the ending of a science fiction movie. Meteorites will be all around. Another possible cause of the earthquake could be a supervolcano explosion. Now. I'm not so sure that verse 13 and verse 12 don't happen simultaneously. Remember, the very first of the Revelation, we talked about how this doesn't happen chronologically. It's not boom, 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 boom. This event has to be finished before this event starts. I'm not so sure that the stars falling from heaven is not what causes the earthquake of verse 12. Think about it. Big enough impact, it'd shake this earth. It could put up enough dust. The earthquake could also be caused, and the stars of heaven falling, by a supervolcano, such as Yellowstone National Park. It could explode with such a force and put molten magna in the air as projectiles, and with molten magna raining down, it would look like stars falling. That explains it locally, but it doesn't explain it worldwide, unless there's a lot of volcanoes exploding around the Earth at the same time. The molten magma, even though it's hot, it could not travel around the globe as molten magma. It would cool off and not glow. It is highly unlikely that the stars falling from heaven is from an erupting volcano, but that is one thought process out there. I believe that they are meteors. Remember, I will tell you, it's my it's Robert's opinion. I think it's meteors that we're seeing. Some use the scripture from Numbers 24 and verse 17 to relate this to rulers, governors, kings. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not now. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and destroy all the children of Sheth. I'm not dismissing it, but I believe that God wanted us to interpret this, this verse, verse 13, verse 12, as rulers falling, as kings falling, leaders falling. He would have said kings here instead of stars. Because just in a few verses, we see where he tells us the kings are hiding. So why would he use the words kings 
later if he's referring to kings here. I'm not dismissing it. I'm just saying I don't really believe that the interpretation that some people give this verse as saying rulers. I don't think it's rulers. I think it's a literal thing falling from the sky. I believe it's meteors. If you have a different version, if you have a different thought process, please let me know. I don't have a problem with it. We'll sit down and discuss it. But it fits in my mind that it is meteors. It also fits in my mind that the meteors could cause the earthquake that could put up the dust, that could block the sun. But it doesn't work to make the sun, the moon red. Nothing on this earth can make the moon red. If, if we put up dust in the atmosphere, we're just not going to see the moon. It's not going to happen. It'll block the reflection of the sunlight from the moon. We won't see the moon. It won't turn red. It'll just be dark. Here it's supposed to become as blood, red. I'll leave that up to you to decide what your version, what your thought process is. I will stand by my thought process, but again, it is my thought process that verse 13 is meteorites, and it's what caused the earthquake on verse 12. Verse 14, And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their place. Isaiah 34 and 4, we see we see the same scene from Isaiah's perspective, and all the host of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll, and all their hosts shall fall down, as the leaf falling off from the vine, and as a falling fig from the fig tree. As a scroll is being put away, it is rolled up for storage. Some scrolls rolled from both ends, and the rolls meet in the middle. This was used for proclamations, as was the single rolled scroll. Either way, the scroll, as it was being rolled up, the information would slowly disappear. The heavens, because of the pollution, the debris from the earthquake was so dense as it moved across the face of the sky, the heavens would slowly disappear. And all that would remain is the thick, heavy, dark, cloud-like formation in the atmosphere. The earthquake was so large in magnitude that the islands and mountains were literally moved from the violent shaking that was being done by the earthquake. The earthquake in Indonesia in um, that caused the tsunami, December the 26th, 2011. Scientists say it moved us in our orbit. It literally moved Earth's orbit a little bit. That's a pretty nasty earthquake. If it can move this body that God has put spinning in, in, in place for all these years, it, scientists say it moved us in our orbit. It also says that, can't remember if it slowed us down or sped us up. I believe it literally slowed us down in our day-night revolution. You know, we, we revolve on our axis, and that's what causes days and nights. Scientists tell us that it either, and I can't remember, I should have looked this one up, it either slowed us down or sped us up. That's a pretty nasty earthquake. The one that's coming is going to be worse. Mountains and islands are going to be moved out of their place. Now, 
if you believe in Pantagia, the, the supercontinent, that was a massive earthquake that moved that supercontinent, broke it apart, and it floated free, and we're part over here, and we're third part over there, and they say Australia's still moving. They can't find a home, so they're just kind of floating out there somewhere. Now, I'm just telling you what science tells us. But this earthquake will, mountains will crumble. You get the earth shaken so bad that the earth, the dirt, the sand becomes like liquid. Try to build something on top of a glass of water. It ain't going to happen. Things are going to disappear. Mountains are going to disappear. Islands are going to disappear. Waves are going to hit. Heavens departed as a scroll when it is rolled together and every mountain and island were moved out of their place. Verse 15, and the kings of the earth. See, now here he's saying kings. We understand this. We know this. We know what the kings of the earth are. They're the leadership. It's the rulers. So if it's the kings that he's talking about over in verse 13, why didn't he say, and the kings fell unto the earth? He says it here. So why didn't he say it back here? I think it's different. But that's Robert's opinion. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains. Everybody. Not just kings and rulers and leadership, but everybody's going to try to hide. Everybody. Science and logic can't comprehend what is taking place on earth at this time. The earth, the entire earth, has shaken from a gigantic earthquake. Things are falling all around. Man-made objects that man rely on is failing. Our security, our safety is now questionable, and the great leaders of our society, from politicians, scientists, and religious leaders, are trying to escape God's wrath. Those that have never called on him before are calling on him now. Some may even be defiantly cursing him, but all know that it is God's doing. David lamented on that fact that there was no place to hide from God. Psalms 139 verses 7 and 8. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. David couldn't find a hiding place. Men are, and women and children, dogs and cats and animals are going to try to find a hiding place. There's not going to be one. There is not going to be a hiding place from God's wrath. 16 says, And said to the mountains and rock, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. The rulers were trying to hide from God. They understand that what is befallen earth is the wrath of God. Well, God's a God of love. He'd never do this. Let's jump to the future and let's ask these guys if God is a God of not of wrath also. God is a God of love, and he's given us plenty of opportunities to come to know him. And there will be people in tribulation that will come to know him. There will be people. Until God's spirit is removed from the earth, there will be people. When his spirit is removed from the earth, it's, it's over with. There's no more time. The rulers are trying to hide from God. They understand what befallen earth is the wrath of God. However, instead of hiding, they should be calling out for repentance. Perhaps someday, 
But for the most part, no one called out to God for salvation. We should be calling out to God for repentance and salvation now while there is time. Seek him while he shall be found. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? The day of his judgment has begun, and no one, no human is righteous enough. If it is not through the blood of Jesus, none of us, none of us will make it in the end. That concludes verse or chapter 6. We will start with chapter 7 next week. Good Lord's willing. Again, I don't know that we're going to have time to finish at this pace. Because just this week, four red heifers arrived in Jerusalem, in Israel. You say, well, what's the significance of a red heifer? Well, you've got to understand what the red heifer was used for. These heifers, these cows, these young calves were used for sanctification of the people and of the temple. Now you go, well, there's no temple. There may be one built real soon. They say all of the pieces are there. They say all of the garments are made. And I know in the last several years, the high priest of Israel, and yes, there are still high priests of Israel, They've actually done dry runs. They have practiced the, the procession through the city and they went to as far as law will allow them right now, marching towards where the new temple will be built, the Dome of the Rock. Some will say that it's built there. Some will say it's built somewhere else. But pretty much everybody in Israel believes that it's the Dome of the Rock. Somewhere's in that area, anywhere. Four red heifers arrived from Texas. Yeah, we raised them here, and we're shipping them to Israel. They have arrived. Pretty significant. They've been waiting on red heifers. Every once in a while, the, the rumor gets out that there's a red heifer somewhere. So about uh, four or five years ago, there was a rumor. But no one knew where the red heifer was, so no one would go destroy it. No one knew about these four except for the farmer and a few others in Israel. They're now in Israel. They're being reviewed. They've been looked at. They've been scrutinized to see if there's any blemishes, any marks, any defects in their coloration or in their physical being. If there is, they cannot be used for a sacrifice. Oh, my gosh, you mean animal sacrifices still happen? No, but they will be. There will be animal sacrifices start back up. How do I know this? Well, Antichrist, we find out a little later in Revelation, the Antichrist stops the animal sacrifices. To stop something, there has to be something there to start. So it has to start somewhere. This could be the start of the animal sacrifices again. I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying it could be. The Antichrist will stop the animal sacrifices. We are to that level. We are to that point. We are in the history. We're seeing Revelation unfold in front of our very eyes. Are we preparing for it? Even if we believe that the rapture takes place prior to tribulation, even if we believe that it's mid-tribulation, or if we believe that it's a, you know post-tribulation, we're seeing the other things come to place. We're seeing Russia and Iran and Turkey and China talking. 
China, Russia, Turkey, Iran, talking. That's significant. That's huge. We're seeing people lining up with Israel. Beyond just the United States, we're seeing people, nations, lining up with Israel. The UAE, United Arab Emirates. We've seen them make several packs in the last two to three years. We're seeing revelation come before our very eyes. Are we preparing? Are we ready? Are we telling people that we're seeing revelation mm -hmm. come to pass? Or are we just waiting? It's to the point where if we are, if we see this, if we're studying this, and we know this is happening, it should encourage us to tell more people about the coming of Jesus. Let's go to the Lord in prayer in closing. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your many blessings upon our lives, Lord, for allowing us the opportunity once again to come into your house. Lord, we ask that you'll move and that you'll touch, Lord, that you'll stretch forth your hands on each and every one that's listened, each and every one that will listen. Lord, I ask that you'll enlarge the territory, that, Lord, this, this message will go forward to countries all over the world, Lord. And as I asked last Sunday, even to Antarctica and to the International Space Station, if that's what you desire, Lord, I ask that you'll move and that you'll touch, that you'll enlarge the territories so, Lord, that your word will be heard throughout the land. Lord, we ask that you'll move and that you'll touch and that, Lord, when you give us the opportunities this week to witness and to testify of you, that, Lord, we will boldly do this for you, Lord, no matter what the consequences. Lord, we ask in Jesus' sweet and holy name to keep us safe until we meet again, Lord. In Jesus' sweet and holy name we pray. Amen.